Hey listeners, this week on May 5th, 2023, is the one-year anniversary since the launch of Creme de la Crime podcast. There are some cases I have to dive into no matter how disturbing they may be. This is definitely one of those cases. Today's episode is dedicated to calling out the flaws and cracks in our justice system when it comes to dealing with child predators. Because of these flaws, one man was able to prey on so many children and get away with it for decades. So today, I want to share with you the disappearance of Zachary Ramsey. Zachary Ramsey was born on December 18, 1985, to parents Rachel Howard and Franz Ramsey. I couldn't find much information about his biological father, but it was reported that his parents had divorced before Zachary had turned two years old. At the time of his disappearance, Zachary was 10 years old and a student at Witter School. He was described as a reserved but very friendly child who enjoyed drawing. On February 6, 1996, Zachary left his home around 7.30 a.m. to walk to school. This was something Zachary had done before, but his mother didn't know that this was the last time she would ever see her son. Zach and his mother lived in the 400 block of North 4th Street at this time, and witnesses reported that they saw Zach walking down the alley located near the 400 block of North 5th Street shortly after he left his home. Zach never made it to school that day, and he has never been seen or heard from again. When he never showed up for school, some officials that worked there contacted Rachel to let her know her son had been marked absent and had never shown up for classes. After receiving this call, Rachel went and filed a missing persons report with the police. It was reported that Zachary had run away about a month before he disappeared. But during that instance, he was only gone for less than an hour before he called his mom to come and pick him up. Even though he had attempted to run away before, police didn't believe Zachary's disappearance was a runaway situation. After some statements given by witnesses, authorities began investigating his case as a possible abduction. Remember I said that Zachary had been seen during his walk to school. Just before he left his home, witnesses stated they had seen a man around 7.15 a.m. hanging out in an alley who they identified as Nathaniel Barjona. He was standing beside a dumpster in the alley that Zach usually passed through to go to school. They stated that this man appeared to be taking out the trash and was wearing a blue police-like jacket. There were multiple different witnesses who had spotted Zach between the time he left to walk to school and the time he disappeared. First, there was a family of three who reported that they had seen him walking down the alley. This same family also reported seeing an off-white, four-door car nearly run him over. Keep this detail in the back of your mind because it is important later. Then, there were other witnesses that stated they had seen Barjona standing in an alleyway and that he looked like he was waiting for someone. Witnesses also stated that when Zach entered the alley, Barjona was still standing next to that same dumpster. The exact time this took place is unknown, 
But later, around 7.45 a.m., a witness stated they saw Zach cross North 6th Street and that he appeared to be upset and crying. At this time, they also stated they had seen an older, obese man following him. Somewhere between where the alleyway cuts into 6th Street and comes out at 7th Street, Zach disappeared and has never been seen or heard from again. It was believed by police that the man seen following Zach that day was Nathaniel Barjona, and that shortly after these sightings, he had used a stun gun to subdue and abduct him. These details will make more sense as we go through this case, but unfortunately, there was little evidence found in Zach's case, and it quickly went cold. Now that we've gone through the details of Zach's disappearance, I want to share with you all that I was able to find about Nathaniel Barjona. I don't typically like to give too much focus to the monsters involved in these cases, but this man was pure evil and also thought to be involved in the murders of other women and children. Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona was born on February 15, 1957 in Worcester, Massachusetts under the name David Paul Brown. Since he had more than one name, I'm going to refer to him strictly as Barjona to keep this from getting too confusing. The earliest recorded crime I could find took place when Barjona was only seven years old. The incident occurred in July of 1964 when he lured his five-year-old neighbor into his basement after telling her that he was given a Ouija board for his birthday that could predict the future. Once in his basement, it was reported that he attempted to strangle her, but his mother heard her screaming and ran downstairs to stop him. There was nothing available that stated whether charges were filed for this incident or not. His next documented crime took place when he was 12 years old. In January of 1970, he convinced his six-year-old neighbor to come to a nearby hill after telling the boy he wanted to go sledding. After the boy arrived, Barjona sexually assaulted him. There wasn't much information available about this incident either, and I'm not even sure if the police were contacted regarding this assault. In March of 1975, Barjona impersonated a police officer to lure and abduct an eight-year-old boy. This is a common theme you will see in the majority of his crimes as an adult. This boy's name is available on public record, but because he was a minor, I'm not going to share it in this episode. After he abducted this boy, Barjona then proceeded to sexually assault him while also attempting to strangle him. A neighbor actually witnessed this abduction take place and called authorities immediately. When the police came across a vehicle that matched the description that was given by the witness, they called for backup and ordered Barjona to get out of the car. The young boy was found in the car with him, covered in blood and barely alive. It was even reported that he had defecated and urinated on himself from the trauma of the sexual assault. Barjona was immediately arrested, but was only sentenced to one year of probation. Just a few days before his high school graduation, Barjona impersonated a police officer once again and abducted a nine-year-old girl in Hartford, Connecticut. It was reported that the girl began to convulse and vomit during the sexual assault, so he threw her out of the car. Once again, there was a witness who managed to get the license plate number from his car, and this is what eventually led to his arrest. Somehow, Barjona's probation officer never found out about this abduction, assault, and arrest, 
So Bar Jonah was released from parole in May of 1976 for the abduction and assault of the previous eight-year-old boy. It was reported that he even received a letter thanking him for his cooperation during his probation period. This was so upsetting to learn, and it's honestly really scary that predators like this can just slip through the cracks of our justice system completely undetected, to the point where they sent him a thank you letter. I'm a firm believer that anyone who goes after children in any way should never be allowed to walk free in society ever again. Just a couple years later, on September 24, 1977, Barjona convinced two boys who were leaving White City Cinemas in Shrewsbury, Massachusetts to get into his car while he was impersonating an undercover FBI agent. It was reported by VocalMedia.com that he took the boys to a secluded area, handcuffed them, sexually assaulted them, and then attempted to strangle them. He then proceeded to jump on the chest of one of the boys he believed was already dead. And I just want to make it known that he weighed 375 pounds at this time. He ended up leaving behind the boy that he thought was dead and drove off with the other boy still alive in his trunk. But the first boy was actually not dead, and he ended up waking up and was able to go and find help. Barjona was arrested, and the other boy was found still alive in his trunk. For this crime, he was charged and convicted of attempted murder and sentenced to 18 to 20 years in prison. It truly blows my mind that someone can rape and attempt to murder children repeatedly and only receive 18 to 20 years. So many lives were destroyed by this man because our justice system was not diligent enough. If a child predator is not a priority, I truly don't know what is. While serving his time in prison, Barjona began meeting with a psychiatrist who he described in detail his fantasies of murdering, dissecting, and eating children. The psychiatrist ended up recommending that he be moved to Massachusetts Bridgewater State Hospital where he served less than 12 years being treated as a sex offender. It was during this time that he legally changed his name from David Paul Brown to Nathaniel Benjamin Levi Barjona on March 22, 1984. It was reported that he had told his friends and family that he decided to change his name because he, quote, wanted to know what it was like to be discriminated against as a Jew, end quote. During an interview he did with Dr. Michael Stone for the TV show Most Evil, he stated that he was Jewish and wanted his name to reflect that. I couldn't tell you whether there is any truth to this or not, but I think it definitely goes to show the state of his mental health and that this man should have never been allowed to be free in society again. Unfortunately, that is not what happened. According to court documents from February of 1990, Dr. Leonard Bard wrote that Bar Jonah had made minimal progress since his admission into the facility in 1979. In his review, he wrote, quote, the most noteworthy presenting clinical data is derived from Mr. Bar Jonah's rich fantasy life. His fantasies tend to highlight on tentative explanation for the genesis of his behavioral pathology, a profound lack of feelings of effectiveness and control. It is noteworthy that the context of his fantasy life is distinguished by themes of revenge and rage. End quote. Dr. Bard determined that Bar Jonah should be considered, quote, a sexually dangerous person, end quote. 
Despite Dr. Bard's evaluation, Superior Court Judge Walter E. Steele ruled that Massachusetts had not proven that Bar-Jonah was dangerous and ordered his release in June of 1991. He was released into his mother's care and moved to Great Falls, Montana to live with her at this time. Many local residents, along with Montana prosecutors, later blamed this judge for Zach Ramsey's death and the other crimes Bar-Jonah would go on to commit after he was released. Within the first month of his release, he saw a seven-year-old boy sitting in the car alone outside of the post office waiting for his mother. Barjona forced his way into the car and tried to smother the boy by sitting on top of him. It was reported he weighed around 275 pounds at the time of this attack. Thankfully, multiple people, including the boy's mother, witnessed this taking place and were able to stop the attack. Barjona fled the scene, but an officer recognized his description from 15 years earlier and he was later arrested. Upon his arrest, he had claimed he had gotten into the car to try and get out of the rain, but later admitted that he had been trying to kill the boy. Once again, he was only sentenced to probation for this attack. It turns out that the Massachusetts courts never followed up with the probation officers in Montana. This lack of notice to the public and the police allowed him to quickly blend in with the local community. The next reported crime took place when Zach Ramsey disappeared in 1996 on his way to school. Investigations were conducted for years after Zach went missing, and once Barjona became a suspect, things started to add up the more the investigators dug. They found out that Barjona had access to his mother's off-white four-door 1978 Toyota Corolla the day Zach disappeared. Remember, Witnesses had reported seeing a four-door white car try to run him down in one of the alleys. Bar-Jonah's mother and brother had been out of town for a funeral at the time, and investigators also found out that Bar-Jonah did not show up to work the day Zach disappeared or the days following. In addition to Zachary's disappearance, Bar-Jonah also had a separate case pending from when a Montana mother had accused him of coming to her home dressed as a police officer in 1997. He asked her if he could take her son to the police station, and thankfully, she followed her gut and told him no. At this time, Barjona was living in a nearby apartment complex where he had been secretly taking young boys to from the area. On top of these charges, he was also facing charges for sexually assaulting two boys from Great Falls, Montana. During this incident, it was reported that he had handcuffed one of the boys and hung the other by his neck from a pulley he had installed into his kitchen ceiling. One of his neighbors became suspicious of him after her child suddenly became withdrawn and angry after spending time with Barjona. Even with all this, his crimes remained undetected for years because no one believed someone could be molesting children in Great Falls, much less murdering them. However, the neighbors did notice something strange. Barjona would occasionally make food for the people that lived around him, and they noticed that these dishes contained strange meat that they could not identify. When they asked him about this, he claimed the meat had come from a deer that he had killed while hunting. His neighbors thought this was strange because no one ever knew of him to be a hunter. In 1999, Barjona was arrested sitting outside of a local elementary school carrying a fake gun and dressed as a police officer. 
Police finally went to search his home, and they could never have prepared for what they would find there. The court documents state that they found several pictures of young children cut out of magazines, notebooks written in code, two yearbooks from a local elementary school, stun guns, knives, batons, blue police-style coats, police badges, and a toy chrome pistol. They also discovered a small unidentified human bone as well as a list of boys' names. This list included the names of previous victims that he had assaulted, and one of the names listed was Zachary Ramsey, followed by the word DIED in all capital letters. It was later reported that all the children on the list, other than Zach, were accounted for and alive, but some of them had been victims of sexual assault by Barjona. They also found multiple news clippings surrounding Zach's disappearance. The journal that was found was sent to the FBI to be decoded while the police began looking into the possible theory that Bar Jonah had been responsible for Zach's disappearance. Once all this information came to light, some of his other neighbors began to come forward about Bar Jonah molesting their children as well. A former roommate of Bar Jonah's also stated that he had found clothing inside of the apartment that matched the description of the clothing Zachary was wearing when he disappeared, as well as a pair of bloody gloves. Others who knew Bar Jonah also stated that he would randomly bring up Zach and the details of the case during conversations. Montana police charged Bar Jonah with impersonating a police officer, as well as the kidnapping and sexual assaults regarding three boys. When the FBI was finally able to translate the notebooks, they were found to contain descriptions of torturing and eating children, as well as recipes. There were reports that did go into details about these recipes, but I honestly couldn't even stomach saying them out loud on this show. Other evidence found in the home made investigators wonder if Barjona had been involved in the 1973 abduction and murder of 15-year-old James Tata. James was kidnapped from Massachusetts on August 23, 1973, and his body was found two days later on August 25th in Ringe, New Hampshire. James had been brutally raped and strangled to death. To this day, his case remains unsolved. During the trial, a witness by the name of Mary Patrone recognized Bar Jonah as the man who had abducted and assaulted her by posing as a police officer in 1974. Unfortunately, charges were unable to be brought against him for this because the statute of limitations had already expired. He has also been mentioned as a possible person of interest in multiple other abductions and disappearances, including the 1973 Connecticut abduction of Janice Pocket and the 1997 Wyoming disappearance of Amanda Gallion. All the evidence was circumstantial, and police never found enough to be able to positively link him to these cases. Barjona would have been 16 years old when Janice disappeared, but he was living in Webster, Massachusetts at the time, which was only 20 miles away from where Janice disappeared. Again, I want to reiterate that Barjona has never been formally implicated in these cases, so other possibilities cannot be ruled out. In the year 2000, he was finally charged with the kidnapping and murder of Zach Ramsey, but the charges against him were dropped in October of 2002 due to lack of evidence. Zach's mother, Rachel, also stated that she did not believe Barjona had killed her son and believed Zachary was still out there somewhere alive. 
She claimed she had seen a videotape of Zach playing on a playground in the year 2000. Investigators were able to trace this film to Italy, where his father had been stationed in the military. But the boy's fingerprints and dental records did not match with Zach, so it was proven that they were not the same person. Bar Jonah always denied that he had killed Zach, and there was never enough evidence to prove the cannibalism allegations. Even though the charges regarding Zach were dropped, Barjona was convicted of the charges he was facing against the other three boys, including kidnapping, aggravated assault, and sexual assault. He was sentenced to 130 years in prison and maintained his innocence until he was found dead in his cell on April 13, 2008. The reports state that he was morbidly obese, suffering from cardiovascular disease, and the official cause of death was ruled to have been from a blood clot. Police closed the investigation into Zach's disappearance. Cascade County Prosecutor Brant Light stated that he hoped Zach's case can shed light on the problems that occur when states send sex crime convicts to other states. Quote, One thing I'm happy about, if one can be happy about a case like this, is that it's putting a spotlight on child molesters being shuffled off to other states. Maybe state legislatures can close some gaps. End quote. He went on to state that it was beyond his jurisdiction to seek legal sanctions against Massachusetts authorities, but that Zach's mother could and should seek to pursue civil action against them. As of the last report, Rachel is still holding on to the hope that her son will be found alive. In January of 2011, Zach's father had him declared legally dead despite Rachel's objections against it, and it was reported that he collected $20,000 from the life insurance policy. To this day, no trace of Zach has ever been found. Zachary Ramsey was last seen on his walk to school in Great Falls, Montana on February 6, 1996 when he was 10 years old. He is a biracial male with brown hair and brown eyes. At the time of his disappearance, he was 4 feet tall and weighed around 100 pounds. He was last seen wearing a blue denim jacket with green sleeves, a blue football jersey with his last name Ramsey printed on the back in gold letters, stonewashed jeans, and black high-top sneakers. Zach has a scar between his eyebrows and on one of his arms. He has dimples and wears glasses, but did not have them on at the time he disappeared. He went by his nickname Zach, and his case is classified as a non-family abduction. If you have any information regarding the disappearance of Zach Ramsey, please contact the Great Falls Police Department at 406-771-1180.